Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The I'm on my way. I'm on my way home, sweet home. Addition, as the Bengals begin a stretch of three straight home games on Sunday against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Coming up, my midweek conversation with Dave Lapham as we discuss if there's really such a thing as bulletin board material for a professional athlete and what it's going to take for the Bengals to beat the Steelers for the third time in a row. My one-on-one player interview is with a guy who knows all about this rivalry, tight end C.J. Uzama, who has played in 10 games against the Steelers, including the only playoff game of his NFL career. And finally, NFL Network reporter Aditi Kinkabwala has great insight on this matchup since she is frequently assigned to cover the AFC North. She talks to my Bengals.com colleague, Marissa Contapelli. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play next-level fantasy football game. Download it now from the App Store and Google Play. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since gravy. During my conversation you're about to hear with Dave Lapham, he asks me about my Thanksgiving meal preferences. And among other things, I mentioned that I like my stuffing smothered with gravy. That got me thinking about how much I like gravy in general. In fact, one of the staples of my diet as a Syracuse University student many years ago was gravy on french fries. Similar to poutine, the Canadian delicacy, but without the cheese curds. So... Here's to gravy in all of its glory. Now, let's get to football. After 11 straight losses to the dreaded, hated, but grudgingly respected Pittsburgh Steelers, the Bengals have won the last two meetings, 27-17 last December with Ryan Finley at quarterback and 24-10 back in September with Joe Burrow throwing three touchdown passes, two to Jamar Chase and one to Pittsburgh native Tyler Boyd. Boyd made a comment after that game that is undoubtedly being mentioned in Pittsburgh this week. And that's where I begin my conversation with Dave Lapham. Lap, the Bengals beat the Steelers by two touchdowns at Heinz Field back in week three. And the day after the game, Tyler Boyd made headlines by saying the Steelers gave up at the end. Here's my question for you. You played pro football for a dozen years. Is bulletin board material a real thing when you're a professional athlete? <laughs> it, it, uh, it, it can be as you're getting ready. I think it kind of uh, helps you maybe focus, laser focus a little bit more. But once the game starts, if they're taking it to you, <laughs> it doesn't matter what you run on the bulletin board during the week. If you're taking it to them, it kind of you know gives you a little more juice, a little, a little added fire as such. So um, I think the most important thing is – who gets off to the to the better start because the last time these two teams played, uh, neither team had scored a point in the first quarter. And they're still struggling. I mean, the Bengals have only scored 34 points in the first quarter. Pittsburgh's only scored 31. So they're, you know, they're averaging three points a game in the first quarter. They're getting off to slow starts. So I think the team that, that jumps out on top of the other one early in this one does get that early edge, and you forget about, you know, the bulletin board material a little bit. But it can... Honestly, it can um, uh, juice practices a little bit. 
You know, not that not, when you're playing a rival, all of it is maybe just you know a little a little smidgen of of, of this or that in terms of getting yourself in the right mindset for the football game. This game's so important to both teams. This team, this is such a big rivalry. I think um, I think bulletin board material. I'm not sure how necessary it is. You know, I think they're all both teams are going to be playing at an extremely high level physically. The Steelers had a bunch of key injuries in that first meeting, most notably T.J. Watt, and they didn't look very good. But after a 1-3 and three start, they've gone 4-1-1 one and one since. The only loss was last week when they rallied from 17 down in the fourth quarter, took the lead against the Chargers, and then gave up a long touchdown pass with about two minutes to go. Where do the Steelers present the biggest problems on Sunday? And, and T.J. Watt didn't play in that game on Sunday, mm-hmm. and he didn't play against the Bengals. They're 0-4 when T.J. Watt doesn't play. Mm. 0-4. That's how important he is mm. to, the, to the mix. So I think, I think that, uh, in my mind, he presents about as big a problem as anybody does because of his ability to just put constant pressure on the quarterback. And, you know, it makes, it makes uh, the opposite – uh, defensive end pressuring makes him more effective, makes Hayward uh, more effective inside. I mean, it just it takes everybody to another level. I think we saw last week that a, a significant, adequate pass rush, or better than an adequate pass rush out of four, and dropping seven into coverage can be a problem. And the Steelers have, they're starting to blitz. They're blitzing less. Percentage-wise, they're blitzing less and less. And when T.J. Watt plays... I think that makes sense. When he doesn't, they're probably not blitzing all that much less. But when he's playing and they're getting a significant pass rush, pressure out of the four of them, they're thinking rush four, drop seven looks pretty good against most uh, most offenses in the league, and I can see why. And uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if, if T.J. Watt starts the game and shows that he still has that explosiveness. And and um, I, I think I think initially – they're going to say, okay, you know, let's let's rush four, drop seven, see what happens here a little bit. Now, just because he starts the game with the injuries that he's got, he's got multiple injuries that he's dealing with, doesn't necessarily mean he finishes it. It doesn't necessarily mean he stays as effective as he does maybe at the beginning of the game. But uh, Toradol and a bunch of other stuff in today's <laughs> pharmacies <laughs> are very effective. Um, it, it, I, I, th- I think that is is the biggest key in this football game. When they, when they do rush four, drop seven, play a couple of safeties deep, play a little bit, you know, deep in coverage, you got to run them out of it. And can they run the football? Can they anchor those guys by running the football and you know take advantage of the soft box and all that sort of thing, uh, and, and make them change strategy? I think that's going to be a big, big factor, you know, in the football game. And then on the flip side of it, if the Bengals can control the running game like they did. I mean, they basically made Najee Harris a little check-down receiver out of the backfield. That was their running game. Mm-hmm. And the Bengals tackled well. I mean, if you can, if you can uh, leverage it properly and tackle it, it's, it's just like a toss pitch, you know. I mean, it's, it's, it's nothing more dangerous than that. So, um, but it, it is interesting, the philosophy. And, and I, I mentioned this before. I mean, Bill Walsh, he always said, yeah, you know, guys, we throw the ball for four yards. They think that uh, – they're kicking our butt. When we run it for four yards, they think that we're kicking their butt. Mm-hmm. I don't care how we get four yards. Second and six, my play sheet's wide open to me. I want to be at second and six. I don't care how it happens. I'll take those four-yard passes. Three of them, we move the chains. You know, I mean, that was his. That was Bill Walsh's whole mindset, and that's kind of the approach 
that the Steelers took with Najee Harris a little bit in that first game, and I wouldn't be surprised if they do it again. All right, sticking with trying to run on the Steelers' defense, two weeks ago, the winless Lions ran for 242 yards on 30 carries. I read that they had 24 carries with six offensive linemen on the field, whether they lined up on the line or as a fullback. Is that something the Bengals are likely to try this week? I read the same thing, Dan, and uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, they, they've done it. I mean, they've, they've mixed their, you know, their big package in there. Um, you know, I, I know a big part of their game plan going into the Steelers game last time was, you know, that stretch and then, and then the inside zone to complement it and go along with it. And I, I could see them using Isaiah Prince like we've seen in the past, um, but maybe a heavy do- heavier dose of it like the Detroit Lions did. You know, they may, they may have uh, cracked the code a little bit with, with that concept. Uh, but I do think, honestly, if it's a, a big offensive lineman or – if it's Drew Sample and C.J. Uzama, I mean, I think, I think you know, 12 and 13 packages are going to have to be favorable for the Cincinnati Bengals. They're going to have to get some mileage out of those, uh, those multiple tight end packages. And I think Drew Sample is as good a, you know, blocking tight end at the line of scrimmage, you know, with his hand down at the end of the line of scrimmage or lined up as a wing back or a full back or wherever they want to line him up and motion him and do some things with him. I, I think he's going to be, be a big factor in, in the running game this week, just like he was last week when they had a successful running game. And then the wide receivers are going to have to block like they blocked last week in the running game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Everybody's going to have to put their big boy pads on, not just the offensive and defensive linemen. If the Bengals win, that would be three straight over Pittsburgh. As Paul Daner Jr. from The Athletic has pointed out, it would be the first time since 1990. If this happens, can we officially say the tide has turned in this rivalry? Well, I mean, I get three in a row, I guess uh, you could say, is, is starting to be a little bit of a trend, you know. Uh, but you do play each other twice, uh, twice a year. So it's, it's, it's only a year, year and a half's work of worth, mm-hmm. work, uh, worth of work, I should say. Um, but to beat the Pittsburgh Steelers three times in a row would be significant. Uh, looking at the way they've dominated. I mean, 17 straight non-losing seasons. Mike Tomlin's never had a losing season. I mean, the history and the tradition and uh, success of, of that franchise is, you know, is second to none in the last couple of decades. I mean, it's, it's, been, it's been unbelievable. And usually teams have their, their – they cycle ups and downs in a shorter time frame than that. That's a, that's a, good, that's a good lengthy time frame. Uh, you, can, you can say, I mean, the Bengals – had the best of the of the Steelers in the 80s by far, you know. Uh, but 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 we're talking 90s, 2000s, 2010. We're talking a while here, you know. It's like that's that's a pretty good stretch. So it'd be good to get that uh, get that W, get three in a row against them. That would that would definitely it would signal that that they're on the right track. You know, they they've they've got a way, they've got a formula that they feel good about that's working for sure. And um, like Zach always says, you know, the first thing you have to do is take care of your division. And the division is so diverse with what they do offensively. You know, I mean, Baltimore with their, their running game and their quarterback run game package is, is unbelievable. Cleveland's got the best running game in the NFL that's more of a tradition, traditional running game, but it still ranks number one in the NFL in yards and yards per rush attempt. So um, Pittsburgh, you know, has always been a team. That, that's the biggest thing that shocks me about Pittsburgh, Dan, is you look at, you look at their numbers – Running the football, 
the Pittsburgh Steelers are, are, are not very very good in stopping the run either. I mean, they're dead last giving up 4.8 yards a run. Mm. You know, I mean, they're, they're minus 1.1 yards per carry average in yards generated running the football and, and stopping the opponent. Negative 1.1 is tied for second worst in the NFL. That is so non-Pittsburgh-like. Teams have outrushed uh, them by 35.9 yards a game, 36 yards a football game. That's so non-Pittsburgh-like. Um, so that, I think Pittsburgh is the biggest, the biggest kind of puzzle to me right now. It's like they're they're teetering. You know, where are they going? Are they are they on the decline? Are they are they avoiding the decline? And just they just seem to be sputtering at the at the Mendoza line. You know, whereas you kind of have a handle on what Baltimore and Cleveland are trying to do from an identity standpoint and all that sort of thing. Um, it's very interesting how the how the divisions uh, kind of evolved a little bit. Tom Brady seemingly has discovered the fountain of youth. He leads the NFL in touchdown passes. He seems to be as good as ever in his mid-40s. Ben Roethlisberger, on the other hand, in his late 30s, looks like quarterbacks used to look when they got into their late 30s. He's not terrible. He still has great moments, but he's not the player he once was. What is he now? What are, what are Ben Roethlisberger's strengths at this stage of his career? A, a savvy, cagey, you know, just... Very experienced veteran quarterback. You know, he just he, he just has a he has such a knowledge uh, that he can draw upon. And and you're right, he's nowhere near the athlete that he was. Nowhere near as athletic. He he was never a guy that could you know like run like whoa boy blazing. But Ben Ben could <laughs> Ben had power. Ben Ben could run the football and hurt you a little bit. There's no question about it. And the thing the thing that I found so amazing about him is. How big and strong he was in the pocket. You'd, you'd have defensive ends, not just linebackers. Defensive ends put a big lick on him, you know, up around his shoulders and slide down his body like a barber pole. Mm-hmm. And he just, you know, he just step up and evade him, get out of pocket. And the other thing about him, when he was in his prime, he would throw from the right hash mark to the left sideline and get it there now. Usually, when quarterbacks try to do that, defensive backs lick their chops and like the ball's going to be in the air a while. It's turnover time. He just he ripped it in there, and you know he had that that arm talent that could get it to all quadrants of the field, you know. And he doesn't quite have that anymore, you know. And he's he's turned into a, uh, you know, more of a, a mid-range, you know, short-range uh, passing attack kind of guy. But but he he still has that guile, that savvy, you know, all all that uh, experience, and all those snaps under his belt. And the one thing that he does do. Well, he gets the ball out of his hand. I mean, you know, 2.3, 2.4 seconds. That that frustrates the heck out of a defensive lineman. You know, you beat your guy with the first move, and still you're within, you know, you, usually you're going to get a sack. You're not even there before he gets the ball out of his hand. And that, that drives guys crazy. I mean, that can, that can be a, a something that wears on you. That could happen to Trey Hendrickson if the ball is gone before he can get to Big Ben this week. He's trying to come up with a sack for the seventh consecutive game. He's already tied the team record at six. It's the longest active sack streak in the NFL. Is Trey Hendrickson what you expected or even better? You know, I think I think he's even a little bit better than what I expected. Uh, you know, that, you're not quite sure what you're going to get because he was with other talented defensive linemen down there in New Orleans, and and it's always like, is it him? Is he is he you know benefiting from the performance of others? And he's he's with another good group of, of uh, defensive linemen. You know, it's like Hubbard. Uh, he he and Hubbard have what's what's uh, the perfect arrangement because they're competitive they don't want to be outdone but it's friendly 
You know, it's not like, I'm, oh, you know, what, you, you have nine and a half cents? Oh, man, you know, I'm jealous of that. I'm going to have to, I'm going to freelance. I'm going to try to do my thing. They, they stay within the scheme. And, and it, was, it was unbelievable to talk to Hendrickson in the locker room after the game. When Sam got his sack, Hendrickson was like, <laughs> i got to get mine now. And the next play, he does. And he strips the thing, and, and Sam Hubbard recovers it. Uh, they're, they're like yin and yang. They are feeding off each other. But I, I'm, I'm impressed with how well he set the edge in the run, too. He's not a one-trick pony. I mean, he's playing, he's playing every down, very, very you know hard, tough, being where he's supposed to be when he's supposed to be there. Um, it, it's it's turned into a, a nice dynamic between the two of them and, you know, the entire defensive line. I mean, everybody's doing what they're supposed to do, when they're supposed to do it, how they're supposed to do it, all those good things. So I'm, I'm, I'm probably about as happy as every Bengals fan and everybody in the organization that uh, Hendrickson is, is, is the real deal. I mean, that was, that was money that was well spent. Back in the first meeting, Jackson Carmen made his first career start at right guard. Now Hakeem Adeniji is in that spot. He'll make his third start in a row on Sunday. How's he look? He looks pretty good, um, but 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 he's going to be. <laughs> you got to you can imagine Hayward's going to line up right over him, just like he did over Jackson Carmen. I mean, Jackson Carmen had to had to get ready for Cameron Hayward, and uh, and and going to be no different than that. He's going to be tested. He's going to be tested by Cameron Hayward early, often. In the football game, but I, I do think Adeniji is—he's uh, legit. I mean, he—he he, his pass protection I thought was really good last week. I think his run blocking is sound. I think he's still, you know, uh, evolving in that regard a little bit. But when he's not—he's not the big behemoth that a lot of these interior, you know, guards are at 330 pounds plus. He's not that kind of guy. But he—he he has got explosiveness and, and, and hip snap. And when he when he rolls his hips, he brings it a little bit. You know he's got he's got something to him. So you know his footwork gets him in position. His hip snap, you know, gets you know gets the movement that he's going to get, and then he finishes well with his hands. I, I think he's got a very bright future. I thought that from game one to game two, uh, he improved, and you know I, I expect that graph to go up. Now, depending on you know a great player like Cameron Hayward can <laughs> can humble you. There's no question about it. But he, he seems very poised and mature too, Dan. I think if something does go wrong, he's not going to lose his mind. You know, I think he'll he'll go back to the all right. Well, you know, I lost that one, but you know, I, I got to get back to my basics. I got to make sure my footwork's right, all my fundamentals are right, my hand placement's right. Just get back to what you need to do to block the guy and uh, and, and not you know just start panicking and, and, and lose all, all concept of technique and everything else, and then you're dead. You're dead meat. I don't see that happening with Hakeem and energy at all. All right. Thanksgiving's coming up. You're from the Boston area. Boston is famous for Thanksgiving high school football games. Was that the case when you were young? Absolutely. Smellrose. It was it was Melrose High School, but they were Smellrose <laughs> when we when we played them. We played them every single Thanksgiving, and uh, and I remember <laughs> they had they had a great athlete by the name of Rich Camo, Richie Camo, and that son of a gun man. He was he was the first real speedster. I mean, this guy ran you know like a, a sub ten flat hundred on the track team and stuff and. Um, he he was if he hit it and he hit the scene was like see you later you're looking at Camo across the back of his jersey that's all you're going to see and uh, I remember we we ended up uh, beating them one year uh, in an upset and and I, that was a, that was a big deal to go and, and beat Melrose in Melrose um, but the, yeah the Wakefield Melrose Thanksgiving Day uh, turkey game was was always that was that was the biggest football game I'd ever played in my life. 
as a you know as a high school football player that was everybody always looked forward to that that big Thanksgiving Day rivalry tilt no question now you'll be watching football you'll be eating too much like we all do and then it's going to be the perfect Thanksgiving weekend when the Bengals win on Sunday by doing what it's remarkable Dan I was looking back at the uh, at the first match of 24-10 the Bengals have 40 penalties on the year first in the National Football League and less, much less than 400 yards in penalty yardage. I think like 340-something, I think it is, first in the league as well. They had 10 penalties for almost 80 yards in that game. Mm. They had a they had 25% of their penalties and over 25% of their penalty yards in that game. So what you have to do is, like we always, I always talk about that, you know, controlled rage kind of thing. You know, you, you, you want to play aggressively and physically, but you don't want to be out of control. You know, you don't want to have penalties. You don't want to have mistakes. You don't want to – but um, they they won the turnover battle. Uh, they, had, they had two takeaways, two interceptions, gave them two short fields on Ben Roethlisberger. They scored two touchdowns on those short fields. That's the formula is, is getting that kind of thing done. Um, so they had four – Pittsburgh had four kicks that uh, – four uh, – possessions that ended without a kick the Bengals only had one that was huge in that football game I think the Bengals won the field position battle but I mean they Pittsburgh ran 77 snaps the Bengals ran like 43 mm-hmm. and, and scored 24 points the efficiency was there because of the turnovers the takeaways so um, but the time of possession if people looked at you know boy the number of snaps time of possession how did the Bengals end up winning by two scores? I mean, you have to you have to dive a little deeper, you know. Um, but I, I think I think uh, they have to take care of things at the line of scrimmage. I think it starts there as always in these rivalry games, in, in just about every game in the National Football League. You have to be able to hold your own, you know, at the line of scrimmage. There's there's no question about that. I've already written down about 18 things here <laughs> that uh, you know that are going to be a, a factor in the football game. Yeah, but the Bengals had 10 penalties for 89 yards. Pittsburgh had 10 for 73. Pittsburgh six in the NFL in penalty yards against them. Bengals are number one at 343 yards. So that both teams uncharacteristically had a had a very rough day from a penalty standpoint. Um, but I've got Hakeem Adeniji jump Cameron Hayward. You know, I, I thought uh, that was going to be a big deal in the football game. Don't let Cameron Hayward get started. And I, I thought that uh, I thought that that was handled pretty well uh, by uh, Jackson Carmen. And, and I think Hakeem Adeniji, I, I'd, I'd recommend the same thing, jump him. But uh, yeah, coach and play aggressively, but not carelessly or recklessly. And that's that's what has to happen, I think, in these in these big football games and. Rivalry games, you never know. And like we talked about earlier, getting off to that fast start is, is I think, going to be a, a pivotal thing. But the Bengals showed how important it is to finish games last week, too. A quick start and a good finish. And, Dan, good turkey day. <laughs> Post-turkey day weekend celebration could happen then. <laughs> Enjoy your feast. Happy Thanksgiving. You do the same, sir. Do you like white or dark meat turkey? Both, but I prefer white. Do you? Yeah. I'll eat every piece of dark meat there is, man. I, I, yeah. What, what's your favorite uh, side dish? I like stuffing, but it must have gravy on it to moisten it up. Lynn makes this green bean casserole that's mm. like really, really good stuff. I'm a stuffing guy over over mashed potatoes too. Mm. I, I definitely am. What kind of pie? What's your Pumpkin. Pie? That's a layup. Bingo. Bango bongo. <laughs> For what it's worth. I don't really like sweet potatoes, except for the Thanksgiving casserole version, 
that's loaded up with so much butter and nuts that it's hard to tell there was ever a vegetable involved. Up next, my one-on-one visit with tight end C.J. Uzama. The first nine times he played in a Bengals-Steelers game, the Bengals lost. That streak ended in week three, and I talked to C.J. about the rivalry this week. C.J., it is Steelers week. You were a rookie back in 2015 for the infamous playoff game. Sorry to bring it up. What do you remember most about that night? Nothing. No. um, (laughs) Yeah, I just remember just distraught, I think, in the locker room and and amongst amongst the the guys in the locker room. And and just, you know, um, we felt like we, we we let it slip away, and we did. Um, so that's that's the that's the biggest takeaway that I had was just you know when, when an opportunity like this comes, we as players we can't we can't let something like that slip up and, and have there be any disconnect. Um, and that was kind of the, the biggest thing that that I think I saw um, throughout throughout the the night and, and, and after the game. The nastiness in this rivalry, I think, peaked right around then. Some of those games almost felt like they were out of control. Has it gotten better? You know, I think with the rules, <laughs> uh, I think football in general has changed a lot. Um, I, I don't know necessarily if it's gotten better. I think you know, um, you know, there's still that passion, that rivalry, that that um, controlled hatred, you know, towards towards mm-hmm. someone in your division. But um, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't say it's gotten better and lighter. You know, I think the rules have changed to to kind of prevent some of those, like some of the things that have happened, you know, ha- to happen again. But no, I think, I think that, that passion is still there. I'm going to quote you on controlled hatred during the course of the game. We're chatting with C.J. Uzama. You won the first meeting against the Steelers this year by a couple of touchdowns in Pittsburgh. That means two wins in a row for Cincinnati in the rivalry. What do you view as a key or a couple of keys to making it three in a row? Yeah, I think, you know, just, just playing our game. Um, I think, you know, when it comes to a rivalry game like this, you know that you know, a play is going to be made by the other side, and it's how you respond to that. And, and obviously, we want, to, we want to play a perfect game, and we want to come out hot. And, and you know, that's that's our plan. Um, but you know, things change throughout the throughout the course of the game, and it's just it's staying the course. It's staying you know with with within the parameters of our game plan and and, and how we play. Enough on Pittsburgh. The team in general, and you in particular, seem to be having a ball this year. Are you having as much fun as it looks? Oh, I'm having more fun than it looks mm. for sure. Um, it, it really is. It's it, man. It is so fun. Just I mean, even in the walkthrough that you know we just had a walkthrough and, and we're having fun out there. And you know, it's not saying that we're not focused and and because we're executing. You know, even in walkthrough and practice, we're we're um, we're executing. You know, at a high level. But it's just man, football is supposed to be fun, and I think some of that gets taken you know taken away with. Um, certain guys wanting contracts and certain guys wanting, you know, their numbers and this and that. But when you watch this team and when, I mean, you, you can't 100% fully grasp it, but, man, we're happy when everyone scores. Everyone's like, man, all right, let's 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 get in the end zone. Let's do something. Like, what are we doing? Like, I'm excited to see what Jamar is going to do in the end zone it, or, or Joe or, you know, I don't know what they do. I, I run over and I'm just like, right, I don't know this dance. I don't know this move. I, I can't help in any way. But I'm like, man, this is cool. Like, it's cool to see that and, and celebrate your teammates. And, you know, if we know if as long as we're putting points on the board, we're, we're going to win. And we're, we have that confidence in our defense. And, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's just different, man. It, it really is. And, and, 
you can tell not only myself, but just everyone's having a really, really fun time. Are you having fun because you're in the playoff hunt or are you in the playoff hunt because you're having fun? We're in the playoff hunt because we're having fun. I think, you know, the, the culture of this locker room, the culture of, of this organization and um, things that we've been instilling in, in the younger guys, you know, the older guys have been, you know, kind of, you know, bringing them along and in, in the in the free agents that we had signed. And, you know, it's just it's a complete buy in. And we're, we're just we're loving on each other. This is a family. I spend I mean, Thanksgiving's coming up, but I'm spending more time with these guys and I'll be spending with my family. And, and so these are my brothers and we're really treating each other as such. And, and so I think that's that's kind of why we're having the success that we're having. You have dubbed your quarterback Joey Franchise, and you often refer to Joe Burrow as the smartest player on the field at all times. Of his many great attributes, is that the thing that stands out the most? 100%. 100%. You know, I think, you know, if you can, I mean, there's that infamous line of of him in Jacksonville, you can't zero me, and and things like that, because he's going to get us in the best possible play and and, and make you pay for it. So, um, yeah, I think that's, you know, he's – I think a close second would be his tough toughness because he's he's an incredibly tough kid and and I say kid he's not actually that young but um, he, he's extremely tough and, and he's a competitor but his his mind and, and the way he can analyze the defense and, and you know get us in the best possible play um, that's that's very unique. You're having an excellent year. Do you have any lingering issues left from the torn Achilles? No. I'm very blessed with, you know, kind of how I was able to approach it and, and mentality-wise of, man, all right, I tore my Achilles. I can't expedite anything. I can't do anything right now. And then once the doctor said I was cleared, I was like, okay, I'm I'm 100%. There's no excuse of anything. I, I'm not going to, you know, let anything weigh in my mind. It's just go out there and, and have fun. And it took a little bit just to get back into the swing of things with, with not, you know, being in pads and things like that. But other than that, I feel feel great. Couple more questions for CJ Uzama. The Bengals are having a great year. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are having a great year. Have you stayed in frequent contact with your buddy Giovanni Bernard? I, I have actually. Um, I texted him. It was his birthday, um, so so I ended up texting him and, and wishing him a happy birthday and, and um, checking on him and, and Chloe and you know the the baby that they're gonna have. And um, that's my brother for life for sure. So um, yeah, we we stay in touch and, and I always you know. Make sure he's doing well and, and vice versa. All right, final thing. The Bengals-Steelers is not the only rivalry this weekend. The Iron Bowl is coming up on Saturday. Your beloved Auburn Tigers trying to upset the Alabama Crimson Tide. Is there a friendly wager or any trash talk with Jonah Williams, the only Alabama player right now in the roster? Um, he's got it easy on me right now. Uh, I think I think uh, I think what's going to happen is Friday and Saturday roll along, and he's just going to stare at me. You know, Jonah's a man of few words, so he's not gonna he's not gonna he's not gonna say too much. He's just going to look at me. Um, so I, I'm really hoping that we pull this one out because he will just stare at me and smile, and I'll be like, Jonah, please just stop looking at me, please for the love. So, um, but it's a rivalry, so maybe I'll be I'll trash talk him a little bit if I need to, um, and hope we hope we pull that one out. If Auburn pulls off the upset, you will not limit it to just staring on your part. Oh no 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 no! I'm gonna. There's gonna be look. His locker is gonna be decked out orange and blue, and oh yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna get after him pretty good. So um, yeah, let's let's get that win. I'm War Eagle. Continued success. Thanks for the time. Best of luck against the dreaded, hated, despised, but 
grudgingly respected Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. As an Auburn junior in 2013, C.J. played in perhaps the most memorable Iron Bowl of them all as Auburn beat Alabama on a 109-yard return of a missed field goal on the final play of the game, the so-called Kick 6. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play fantasy football game. Ultimate Bengals will be awarding a weekly winner during the course of the season with tickets, autographed merchandise, and money-can't-buy experiences all up for grabs. Find Ultimate Bengals in the app stores now. Finally, it's time for our Know the Foe segment. Aditi Kinkabwala from the NFL Network is frequently assigned to matchups in the AFC North, and she spoke this week to my Bengals.com colleague, Marissa Contapelli. The Bengals return to Paul Brown Stadium this Sunday, where they'll be for the next three games. And as we get set for round two against the Steelers, we welcome in NFL Network's Aditi Kinkabwala, who covers the AFC North extensively for the network. Aditi, this is the only division where each team is currently above 500. What does that say just about the caliber of competition that's currently the AFC North? Well, it sort of creates a sense of anxiety for me, Marissa, because I feel like everybody's beating each other up. But again, this hasn't happened since, I mean, this hasn't happened in 10 years. And when it happened 10 years ago, three of the AFC North teams went to the playoffs. And I feel like we're in position for the exact same thing to happen. How do you see this division playing out? I know there's still a long way to go, but with the Bengals at, at six and four, is, is that put them in a good spot to possibly make a run for it late in the season? You know what's so interesting about this, Marissa, is that nobody has really put together a run in any sort of way that you feel like, okay, this is a team that has established exactly who it is and they're about to go off in some particular way. So... I still feel really, really, really good about the Ravens simply because they have one of the three most dynamic players in the NFL and Lamar Jackson. And I'm very, very eager to see what everybody else can put together right now. When you take a look at the Bengals offense, they put up 30 points on the scoreboard fourth time in the last five games. They've done that. What catches your eye when it comes to the offense? Marissa, I am. This is almost embarrassing how much I pound the table for Joe Mixon. I am such an old school football person where I believe every single thing starts with the run game. And so to me, when you look at that Raiders game, what's the best way to keep Max Crosby and Yannick Ngakwe off of Joe Burrow? By running the ball. And so I loved the way that the Bengals said, we don't care that you know we're running the ball. We are going to keep running those bu- the ball and those one and three and five yard gains in the first and second year, in the first and second quarter, quarter in the first and second quarter are going to turn into 11 and 18 yards in the third quarter. And I just, you know, one of my greatest frustrations with the Steelers is that they're not running the ball. You know, they had 12 possessions within five yards of the goal line on Sunday night. And eight of those 12 possessions, they threw the ball. 
Like, just say, I'm going to beat you up. Like, that's it. I don't care that you know I'm going to run the ball. I'm still going to run it all over you. One of my greatest frustrations with the Browns is that two weeks ago, when they fell behind to the Patriots and they were still within a running climate, they got all nervous and scared and worried and started throwing the ball. That's not where the Browns are at their best. That's not where their Steelers are at their best. And it's not where the Bengals are at their best. Everything should start with the run game, especially when you have one of the most exceptional running backs in the NFL. You know, I was following along um, on Twitter with you over the weekend, and I loved the I told you so tweet when it came to running the ball and feeding Joe Mixon. Is that awful, Marissa? (laughs) Is that terrible that I just was like, I told you so? Or is that okay? It's absolutely okay. It it does. It all starts with the run game. (laughs) It does, in general. And it feels like when you're right and you're sitting here and you're saying, look, this is somebody that's had an immense amount of success against this particular team, and this has bode well for your team in general. Go ahead and do it. And then when it actually happens, shouldn't you be allowed to get some credit for that? Exactly, exactly. Uh, Well, Aditi, I'm glad you also brought up the fact that the Steelers have struggled in the run game as well. When you look at each of their losses this season, they failed to get over 62 run yards as a team in each of those games, including week three when they did play the Bengals the first time around. What's been going on in Pittsburgh, and is that an area that the Bengals defense should focus on again is really trying to limit that run game? Well, 100%, but I also feel that part of the run game is whether you are committed to the run or not. And let's go back to the Bengals for just a minute, Marissa. In the first half against the Raiders, the runs weren't particularly pretty. You weren't netting that much. But then those same exact runs broke for more in the third and fourth quarters. And that's the way that a run game works. And it just feels like over the course of the last four years, the Steelers haven't been particularly committed to the run, even as they sit here and say, we want to run the ball. We want our run game to be better. We are focused on this. Well, they haven't spent any money on their offensive line and they've hired an offensive coordinator who, you know, wonderful person, wonderful human, but in certain moments, it's do you want to outthink somebody or do you want to just run all over them? And when we go back to Sunday night against the Chargers with the Steelers, again, they're down by the goal line. They're throwing extensively. They're not necessarily connecting. And then at some point, the Steelers just threw in their fullback. They're, they threw in their first round running back and they ran up the gut and they scored a touchdown. Finally. And it felt like, okay, that's maybe not so sexy. That's maybe not what, you know, is generating attention at this moment, but that's what works. So why can't you just stick with what works? Easier said than done sometimes, but absolutely. Well, Aditi, the Steelers have been without T.J. Watt for a handful of games this season, most notably when they did play in week three. He was out last week against the Chargers. Is he someone that has a good chance of going on Sunday? What are the odds that he suits up against the Bengals? Marissa, we totally expect him back. In fact, Mike Tomlin today said that he anticipates him being back, and he, of course, changes the entire defense. And it's not just the attention he draws at the position that he's at, but it's what is infectious about the way that he plays and how that affects everybody else. So, obviously, the Steelers' defense is significantly different if T.J. Watt is back. And as I said, Mike Tomlin said the expectation is that he will indeed be back against the Bengals. 
Seems like there's a lot on the line Sunday between the Bengals and the Steelers. For the Bengals to come out victorious, what do they need to do right against Pittsburgh? Run the ball. Run the ball, control the clock, keep possession, and it just feels like that'll do it. You know, sometimes, Marissa, the best offense, or the best defense is a really, really good offense that prevents the other offense from getting the ball. And uh, we know that the Bengals can be a very quick strike offense. We saw that the last time the Bengals and the Steelers played with Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow. But if you control the clock, if you keep possession, if you keep the ball away from the Steelers, then you're in great shape. Well, Aditi, the last one I have for you today, I've seen an adorable photo of your daughter posted from over the weekend um, watching the Browns game. And I know your kids have roots in Cleveland and Pittsburgh, but I really think they would look pretty cute in some maybe tiger stripes. We can get some, maybe we can throw some orange and black uh, apparel into the mix here every now and then. If you want to send me that, I have no problem throwing that on my children. In fact, what's really funny is you used to have a running back coach who uh, sent us a lot of Bengals gear, and we still do wear a lot of those hats, a lot of those, um, I don't even know what to call them, but arm warmers in cold weather. So we will wear whatever is sent to us. But my poor daughter was born in Cleveland and the Browns treated her tremendously well. And she is just buying into that. And I can't, you know, isn't part of parenting letting your kids be? Exactly. And, and it's just it's an ASC North family, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I mean, I didn't grow up here, so it's easy for me to let everybody go their own way. Well, Aditi, thank you so much for joining us. Love your coverage at NFL Network. Thanks for spending time with us today. Marissa, it's been an absolute pleasure, and thank you so, so, so much for having me. And run the ball. That's all I'm going to say. Run the ball. My thanks to Marissa and Aditi, and that's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play, next-level fantasy football game. Download it now from the App Store and Google Play. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find us. I'm Dan Horde. Happy Thanksgiving, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.